Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as usual, you'll have 20 minutes or so of our thoughts around the important matters of the hotel investment space. My name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the call by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. The first topic we're going to talk about this week is the fact that it appears that face-to-face meetings are coming back strong and um, that's good news for hotels uh, and conference venues around the place we heard this back in the summer uh, this was fairly kind of well painted by Hilton Marriott uh, who certainly saw strong demand returning in the US and we are now seeing it uh, spreading across Europe and uh, indeed now with uh, Asia finally starting to release their restrictions uh, it'll be happening again there too um, there are some interesting kind of nuanced changes uh, certainly one of the issues at the moment is that many hotels are still short of staff and frankly they don't want really big really high service uh, highly demanding events uh, so if you try to book an event this in the coming months you'll probably be offered a far less rich variety of menu and uh, dr- food and drink offerings um, because frankly they, they haven't got the staff and the resources to do it the old-fashioned way but good news for hotels it does appear that we're all shaking off zoom and by and large m- most of us getting back to having uh, lots more conferences and face-to-face meetings yeah shaking off zoom is quite a good place to start because if you take a look at the zoom uh, share price it's been something well it, it's been a almighty peak um which it hit in uh, october uh, 2020 um, it went to 559 dollars uh, um and it is now all the way down to 78.35 uh, so that is one heck of a drop actually um so it, it's quite uh, quite dramatic the transformation now admittedly if you look on a five-year basis it's up oh almost a quarter about 20 percent. so there's no question that zoom is um today um more useful than it was seen to be five years ago um but i, I would suggest that all of the doomsters around the face-to-face thing the fact that we were never going to get out of our uh, home offices and we're going to mm-hmm. spend all our time talking to people via a screen um that has proved a very much false um forecast very inaccurate forecast so we're back with face to face um we've done a few ourselves as well actually we have yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, of course we had our own um operational real estate festival last month um and um, yeah we've been out and about at various conferences well i mean i've been out and about for well over a year actually at conferences so um so they began coming back i mean to be honest there's quite a big difference if we look back to um the the big a global investment conference which is um the ihif the international hotel um international hospitality investment forum as it's now called um so they that took place in september 21 a very very subdued affair sort of kind of the thousand attendees the sort of level it was you know a decade plus ago um but by may um within barely six months it was back rip roaring and it was the strongest one ever um and it it is really the case i think that events have um surprised on the upside um and all the fears about there being a lag and it taking time and all this stuff is simply not the case so it's been very good and um i I think in my uh comments in the written piece for hotel analyst perspective i um 
um, site Pandox's um, stage stages of recovery and uh, um, at number five in the six stages of recovery they have international travel and meetings and in the in the sixth and final stage they have groups now as it's turning out I would suggest that uh, meetings are back stronger than international travel is um, we're going to go on touch on that later in this podcast about all the so- sort of trouble problems there are with international travel not so much to do with the hotel sector much more to do with uh, airlift um, and various aspects around that Um, but certainly that is lagging but not because of demand but because of all sorts of supply constraints where we don't have supply constraints we're just soaring away and it's it's very strong Um, I guess that we come back to this um, thing we've been talking about for months now which is are the tailwinds stronger than the headwinds mm. um, so we've got these economic headwinds right now and they do look grim there's no question they look grim I um, mean we're talking about recession across most of Europe um, over the next six months plus um, and certainly probably a flatlining economy in North America so it, it doesn't look great um, economically but I would argue that 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 correlation that we always have in this sector uh, we think we have in terms of uh, hotel performance and economic growth really that's not the thing to watch it's it's I I would suggest unemployment is a much more critical variable if you look at how uh, unemployment looks it looks remarkably benign yeah it's probably going to go up a bit Um, there's no question that we're going to see a number of companies go bang um, and we're going to see a little bit of cutback but at the moment it's looking that um, the employment market is going to remain pretty robust and that's good news um, for hotels at the consumer level and I would argue it's also good news for firms um, as well um, that you know it's, it's only really when they start making redundancies do we start seeing them because if you're laying people off you've really got to be seen to be pulling all your horns in everywhere um, and so therefore they cut back on travel they cut back on their their activities with meetings but we're not seeing real signs of that at the moment so that's good news and i think that you know there's a good deal of positivity out there still in terms of getting um, you know in front of people and seeing people in the flesh again so i think those tailwinds so far are looking stronger than the economic headwinds as tourists are coming back uh, we're seeing certainly in and around the the uk and nearby um, local authorities eyeing up the opportunity to uh, pop in a little tourist tax uh, gather some extra dollars some extra euros some extra pounds from the returning visitors i mean uh, now could you could argue it's actually a fantastic time to do just this because uh, with inflation it's perhaps more difficult to spot if you've just suddenly been charged a euro or so for uh, every night for your hotel stay so it's uh, certainly an opportunity that the authorities in scotland are eyeing up they're also at it in uh, wales they're going out to consultation there and the tax authorities in ireland are also looking at the possibility of uh, building a sliver of uh, tourist accommodation tax into their tax take over the coming years um, and as I say it's it's probably now is quite a good time to sneak it in well um, I'm not sure it's ever a good time to sneak in <laughs> extra taxes like that but regardless but I mean I, I, I 
you know we have uh, for a long while been critics of um, the way our industry goes around lobbying and I think in the, the days of the British Hospitality Association um, when they were turning up at uh, political party conferences bearing placards like they're some sort of trade union they're not trade unionists we're a business you know we're a group of businesses we ought to be arguing um, at that same sensible level and not joining in with the placard waivers um, and we, we seem to think we lobbying means acting like say the agricultural lobby that that isn't what we should be doing we should be pointing out we've got a robust strong industry which is going to create the jobs of the future um, and rather Rather than seeking handouts now there's no question I think I mean the period we've just been through it's been awful and you know government imposed the lockdowns they the, they ought to have come up with um, some sort of salve for our sector given how much pain they created through their lockdowns but as we come out of that and we're now thankfully I think uh, there seems to be growing consensus against future lockdowns um, as we come out of this um, nonsense um, in terms of lockdowns I think we should focus on the future focus on pointing out we are strong um, stop lo lobbying for VAT cuts sales <laughs> tax cuts that's not what the industry needs I mean at the end of the day however you dress it up staying in a hotel going to a restaurant um, that they're luxury goods that you can't say that we need some special privilege and every I mean the problem is people live in their own sort of echo chamber and we all think we're special and um, all the rest of it as a sector but any industry you care to go into would say lower the taxes will be better at creating jobs and creating wealth that is the truth that is the downside of any tax we've got to raise we've got to have some level of taxation to deliver um you know essential government services but there is a negative impact of tax um, and but that, that's across the piece and I don't think our sector is somehow specially unique that it should be have lower tax than other sectors it is quite capable of supporting you know its fair share of tax what however we don't want is to to have government suddenly think we're a place where you can put in extra taxes and the great problem with tourism taxes of course it's paid for by people who don't vote mm. um, in the sense of it's paid for by people who uh, are outsiders and it's only a sort of a narrow proportion of the population who are impacted by tourism tax as it as it diminishes our industry but we need to shout about that and I think we need to shout about that much more than we need to shout about give us a VAT cut and it's just looking slightly ridiculous you know we've been lobbying for VAT cuts and what do we get we get tourism taxes I mean it's you know um, it shows actually how weak and how how poor we are at communicating and how little leverage we do have with government for it now alongside you know a critical piece it's not just about tax it's also about regulation um, it's about the sort of the way government really doesn't help our sector grow I mean one of the benefits if you know uh, very much a small benefit relative to the, the big dark cloud of covid um, but one of the, the the very few good things that came out of it i think is is the idea that actually you can free up uh, hospitality you can allow say outside space to be used by bars and restaurants um, um, without seeking onerous planning permissions um, and that 
does everybody a favour. I mean, it enables growth in our sector, um, and it, it, it's cost-free effectively for governments. It's not. It's nothing. You know, it's not. There's, they're not having to give us tax concessions. This isn't a VAT cut. What we're asking for is simply to them to get out of the way and enable us to make money. Um, and I think re regulation can and should be done much more smartly in our sector. The one area where I'm um, still uh you know what, what surprises me we have this this super strong regulation about existing licensed premises preventing them going out you know the, even switching to selling off license um products during covid was tricky that had to have you know special clearance but they don't seem to be doing anything about the um, illegal Airbnbs and we've still got this regulatory arbitrage going on where you have Airbnbs which are out there which don't have proper life safety in place so if you're renting out a property on a, um, a short short old tenancy agreement in the UK if it's for six months plus you have to have a gas safety certificate you have to have a um, electrical um, check um, certification um, you have to um, um, demonstrate a whole raft of other issues in terms of like uh, energy performance certificates all of this stuff has to be in place and yet to list it on Airbnb you don't need any of that or any of the other uh, platforms like Airbnb and this it doesn't seem to be and it seems to be very easy and straightforward to fix this now I think the government the government in Scotland um, is going about this in far too uh, heavy-footed manner with this 300 pound charge which you report on Chris I think that's ludicrous it doesn't need to be that it needs to be a, a simple straightforward regulation look I want to let out my property on an Airbnb fine here's the registration document fill it in I mean if there has to be a very small fee then fine but 300 pounds is too much um, you know uh, uh, it certainly uh, is no excuse for it being any more than say filling in a passport form which is what 80 90 pounds um to fill in something like that so that ought to be down at that level um but what it does then do is give local authorities the ability to check well does this property is it complying with planning laws it, it, and in almost most cases no they're not actually they're breaking planning laws because one of the only areas you can let out um legally in the uk under planning laws is london where they have this 90-day rule you can do 90 days a year um, um above that you have to go and get uh, planning permission to be uh, um, for holiday lets um, for us as a um, you know a, um, a, as a business um, you know podcast focused on the hotel business well obviously hotels have to have quite strict regulatory compliance including planning um, they shouldn't be allowed to be underbid by these people coming in without that planning and I think that that needs to get sorted out and it's great gradually getting there but you know it, th this is a problem where there, there needs to be a sense of balance in the overall outlook it's not a case of axing regulation is a case of easing it where it's possible to make it easier um, but otherwise what we, we we should be doing is sort of accepting it's necessary to have some mm -hmm. and get on with implementing it appropriately and I think you know rather than put all the focus on on just properties you know why don't you just require Airbnb and say look how can you list 
properties for rents which haven't got proper life safety in place why haven't why don't you have an insistence that they comply with um, they ought to have smoke alarms they ought to have um, gas safety they ought to have electrical safety certificates as a bare minimum they ought to have all of these things they ought to have evacuation plans and stuff like that that is where actually they ought to be focused on rather than just trying to squeeze them for a few hundred quid for uh, you know a, a, a registration and that's what they ought to be doing but um, um, unfortunately you know as we have seen across the piece whether it's with uh, um, you know our, our big regulators in terms of Ofgem which does the which does our energy or or um, off what which does our water um, we've had you know a succession of frankly regulatory failure across um, different industries and sectors and this is an example I would suggest where we've got regulatory failure in our sector. Now we're going to talk about what's going on in Asia where finally it seems that uh, most of the region is opening up once more for international travel and uh, for those uh, parts of the the region that are opening up uh, we're seeing quite dramatic uptake in uh, hotels in airline activity and uh, people very keen to get back to traveling and keen to get back to tourism once more so we've got uh, Singapore opening up Hong Kong opening up less successfully uh, but Japan uh, fully open once again and uh, keen to be uh, putting itself back on the map for international tourists um, so uh, still the one outstanding item is China but uh, all around, it does seem that once more we can travel to and from Asia more freely. Yeah, I mean, a Asia has been coming back for a little while. I think we've, you know, we've had got countries like Thailand, which recognised that um, this was doing significant damage to their economy. Uh, Thailand uh, used to be pre-pandemic the fourth biggest country globally in terms of um, how much money it made out of inbound tourism. Now that slumped from that fourth place. Um, in 2021 it went down to 28th place. Um, so that's one heck of a slump. Um, as other regions of the world, notably Europe, um, to an extent North America, although that's not been terrific um, in terms of switching the taps back on again. It's it's really been Europe has been in the strongest here, um, and you know they're, they're recognising this is a major issue. These are figures from the uh, World Tourism Organization. Um, Japan also was in seventh place back in 2019, down at 29th. Now I think the actual figures for 2022 are going to be even worse because we're dealing with 2021 figures I've just talked about mm -hmm. there um, and we've barely got um, any data yet for, for this year um, I mean the UK is still only Q1 and that looks dismal um, those countries where they do have data um, more up-to-date data so if you look at uh, Germany and France um, you can compare July 2019 with July 2022 and what you see there is uh, France is um, the outbound from France is just 2.6 percent lower the outbound from Germany just 4.4 percent lower which is quite remarkable how quickly Europeans have got back on planes and got traveling again um, 
most of Asia however is three to nine months behind Europe in terms of this recovery and as you said Chris uh, uh, Japan has only just opened up um, well actually I think you referenced Hong mm -hmm. Kong didn't you but Japan similarly has only just opened up and China well the People's Republic of China goodness knows when they're going to actually fully fully get back if you know if indeed they ever do I mean there is and I've got a growing skepticism about what their policies are here um, whether they're intent on keeping people as much as possible inside the country it does seem to be they are sort of heading that way and this absence of China from the People's Republic of China from the outbound travel market is a major issue for the rest of Asia because they China was in 2019 by far the biggest outbound market more than twice the size of the next biggest the US but you know a lot of that those numbers slightly distorted because you're including travel to between China uh, PRC and Hong Kong and between Macau and um, uh, PRC so there's a little bit of uh, distortion I'd suggest there because it's uh, you know it, how truly international those those numbers are it's a so I'd put a question mark against but nonetheless there's no doubt that uh, places like Thailand where China was the biggest source market um, they're not expecting China to come back certainly this year and probably not much for next year either so we're going to have this ongoing lag there but you know the issue we have in Europe and North America is just how rubbish our airlines have been how rubbish our airports have been and if this is something interesting I was, I was looking at uh, Ryanair's uh, uh, results and they actually reference air traffic control as being a specific problem which I hadn't picked up on before um, but generally that whole um, air connectivity piece has been terrible in terms of its recovery um, so I dug up some IATA numbers which is the uh, main body for for the airline sector and uh, so their revenue per passenger kilometer in North America it's down 14.6% in August which is the latest numbers they had and that was actually slightly worse than the decline in in July and this is um, month in 2019 against the month in 2022 so it's actually slightly worrying that's actually getting worse in terms of the airline piece I think you know this this ongoing nonsense we've had in terms of um, supply chain issues and you know we've, we've had flights cancelled at Heathrow or, um, um, skip hole a whole you know um, I, I don't think it's been a major European airport which hasn't had issues um, most American airports have had issues and this is just awful really in terms of we need to get back in the air now if you're an optimist you're going to say well look we're going to get back to this you know by probably Easter of next year they're going to be fully you know capable of actually delivering a proper service and getting all the flights back in the air I mean one of the points Ryanair made in its results while it, it has grown its overall capacity it's now at 115% of what it was in 2019 most other carriers have shrunk something like 10% I mean at peak at the peak times of which of course uh, Ryanair was only too happy to highlight um, the peak bad performance you have as, as much as um, a third of flights not not going which is absolutely shocking when you know there's clearly demand there for it um, so this is going to be uh, you know the, the it, it, it's certainly bad news right now but uh, you could argue actually this is this tailwinds coming back in as this 
this supply crunch gets sorted out um, and people can actually get flying properly again we're going to be able to see um, you know a, a good bit of um, um, uplift in terms of um, you know business for hotels from international travel and just final point you know although we've got rid of all covid restrictions in the uk it's worth remembering there are still covid restrictions around the world and if you're unvaccinated um, it's very difficult to get into spain the us and the uae as an example you've got to go through hoops and have tests and all this kind of stuff goodness knows why as as we know that vaccinated people are almost as likely to be carrying it as unvaccinated people by that's, the by. Um, mm. um, that's yeah by the by exactly but the main piece is this supply um, chain problem that the airports that the airlines and indeed as Ryanair show um, air traffic control have have got at the moment um, it's looking like these are going to get fixed over the next six months and this is going to be a you know a nice little bit of tailwind for the sector perhaps just as we're looking a little bit wobbly because of the economy you know it, it's certainly going to be quite tough i think over the next six months so if we can see a ramp up of international travel that will certainly help and uh, i certainly think for europeans given the strength of the dollar right now um, getting americans over here that will be a, an important factor in the spring i think um, it's a good thing to target that and uh, drive uh, you know where we might have a little bit of economic wobble fill it up with some american tourists. so let's turn now to our five stars and no star awards for this week and we're going to have a five stars for this sector's positive outlook we've been going to conferences as we mentioned and uh, despite all the worries of the world it does seem we are reporting on a sector that is maintaining a very positive outlook yeah i mean as ever the contrarian it makes me nervous when everybody seems to agree it's not as bad as we mm. thought um, everybody's saying that i'm thinking Ooh, maybe we're missing something here maybe it is but i am genuinely struggling um to agree with the doom and gloom we're seeing in the newspapers at the moment that we're all going to hell in a handbasket and you know the the we're going about to have economic collapse and all this kind of stuff now there's no doubt that there are you know a whole bunch of uh, sort of known unknown issues out there uh, probably the biggest of which for our sector is the interest rate piece um, how that may or may not undermine investment in our sector um, but uh, you know out with that yeah absolutely five stars I, I, I do think we you know there seems to be we seem to be quite resilient and we seem to be positive about carrying on I think we're going to see a hiatus in deal flow where we are seeing a hiatus in deal flow while this um interest rate thing gets sorted but uh, um, ironically I think the downturn will help that because that will cause um, the interest rates to, to um, interest rate rises to start pausing and then once we are at a sort of set stable level I think it is then much easier to plan this is actually where your debt costs are going to settle and be fixed at this is where you know this is what the, the future looks like and it looks an awful like 
what we were in sort of prior to the global financial crisis all the way back to 2007 so we're, we're sort of going all the way back there is probably what we're going to have ahead um, for us which is hardly a doom and, and no stars this week go to Britannia Hotels uh, famous for receiving wooden spoons from uh, the Consumers Association regularly as the lowest ranked hotel brand they're now under the uh, fire of uh, councillors and even the local MP in Liverpool uh, where they're accused of causing reputational damage to the city because of problems at their Adelphi Hotel in uh, in Liverpool. Um, a couple of incidents recently, and one of them including a guest who died when a wardrobe fell on her. Uh, so, um, calls for something to be done. Yeah, I mean, you're causing reputational damage for our sector, actually. I mean, they've just had this whole succession of, um, you know, very bad looks, um, you know, right from how badly they treat their people, their staff, their, um, their, their bad pay, bad conditions, you know, how they behave during COVID. Um, as an example of a, one of the remote properties they were running up in Scotland and they turfed out all of these uh, foreign workers there and just simply said right um, on you go um, um, and they just turfed them out with their suitcases didn't even run them to a train station I mean, it's just shocking how they behaved when there was the uh, IRA bomb scare at the Grand National so in, in terms it, when you have a sort of emergency situation like that most people jump in and try and help out um, the attitude of this was in particular the Adelphi again um, well, well here's an opportunity <laughs> to make some money um, so they were charging people 30 quid this was well, oh, quite a few decades ago charging people 30 quid to sleep in their uh, like uh, in their dining rooms and in their ballrooms I mean it's just appalling um, really to think think of that as a money-making uh, exercise just truly dreadful actually in terms of their their lack of community spirit i mean they are the the absolute opposite of what one would hope in terms of the esg piece in terms of that social that being part of a community and and demonstrating care of the community they are the polar opposite of that um and it's shocking and i mean i think you know um i'm not surprised that um we've got an MP and on a disappointing note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>